episode 90 of McChesney Unchained. I'm your host, Matt McChesney, coming to you from bar and studio down here at DNVR off of Colfax. Make sure you get down here and uh, sing the fight song the next time the Colorado Buffaloes put a W up and then watch the Broncos do what the Broncos do. We'll get into that as the, uh, the day goes on. This is episode 90, and we got a big show for you today. Talking college football, the NFL as a whole, uh, O-line mastermind Duke Mannyweather will be on the show to talk about any and all things in the trench. We'll go over uh, you know, a lot of different techniques in the offensive line, things that he sees, things that I see as we're both quote-unquote gurus. And then uh, you know, obviously we'll talk to him a lot about pass rushers inside and outside. We'll get his top five and then uh, talk about an all-time offensive line and, and why. So those of you interested in the trench and the real – uh, football fans are definitely those guys and girls out there. Definitely listen to the show. Episode 90 is going to rock. All right. So uh, let's get this rolling. Number one, um, college football. So CSU plays Boise and gets absolutely annihilated. Uh, it wasn't really a, much of a contest, to be completely honest with you. And it, you know, after beating Wyoming at home and getting the boot, it's just a bad look. But Boise's pretty good. Um, hopefully, CSU can rebound against UNLV this weekend. But there's a lot of uh, speculation that UNLV is going to get canceled. And CU went to the farm in Stanford and won 35-32. And needless to say, I was happier than a pig and shit because of that with the bus going 2-0. and But again, they were canceled this weekend too with Arizona State coming to Folsom. So if CSU and CU are both canceled, uh, well, that's perfectly lined up to go any – we'll play them in a fucking parking lot. I don't care. Tell us where to meet. Colorado and Colorado State can get down, uh, especially if they're not playing their, you know, on or on schedule uh, conference opponents this week. So hopefully the Pac-12 and the Mountain West can remove their heads from their asses and make this happen if UNLV and Arizona State are down. It just doesn't make sense not to play, and I know that all the Buffalo fans out there would love – love to get this CSU team between the uh, between the uh, hash marks because I think CU would absolutely shit stomp CSU this year and I love that shit so you know especially down here at DNBR where everybody's a goddamn CSU Ram fan or a sheep fan Baba and uh, you know it, it is what it is um, but we will say this I'm glad both teams are playing uh, the, both teams are kind of on different trajectories, and it's it comes down to recruiting. CU has fortified their offensive and defensive lines, and you know for all of Mel Tucker's shorts, he did a good job recruiting kids. And then Carl Durrell walked in and started developing the shit out of these guys. And for the for the bus to dominate the way they did up front at Stanford last week was impressive. Uh, the the Keenan Ray Frank Philippe double team on the goal line was one of the most vicious blocks I've ever seen. Uh, and then the, the skill players showing up and Sam Neuer being a Heisman candidate at this point. I mean, he probably won't end up being that guy, but I'll take it for two weeks, man. Shit. Uh, and then you look at CSU and it, the momentum off the Wyoming win just – it didn't run into Boise. And Boise was coming off their own beat down to BYU, so they had a lot to prove. But it, it comes down to recruiting. And especially in Fort Collins, you can't let – Cord Kringlin, Caden Dudley, and Shale and Depot all go to Boise State. You can't let Trevin Heil from Grandview go to Nevada. You can't let Wilson Clark and James Breacher go to UNC when they should both be in Fort Collins, two big offensive linemen. 
you know, it, it, you can't let Braylon Nelson, who's 6'8", 300 pounds and plays at Vista Peak, go to Fresno State. It just can't happen. So until they literally build a fence around Colorado and keep everyone home and give them a reason to go to Fort Collins and, and, and rebuild that program with a little bit of in-state pride, they're going to continue to play kids from the state that don't understand what it is to be a CSU Ram because CSU has been getting shit stomped for the last 10 years. Colorado has the namesake behind them. They're the major conference team in, in, in the state of Colorado. They're always going to be able to get bigger recruits in state unless a CSU kid wants to go there. But Mason Maddox at Cherokee Trail, Caden Dollar at Fossil Ridge, and the list goes on and on and on. Those kids need to be in Fort Collins. And, you know, it, it's just a matter of I, – I don't think it's a recruiting thing or a stars thing. I think it's a confidence thing, and this is what I mean. Colorado's full of developmental football players, whether you're Trey Zoon, the number one player in the state who's from Fort Collins that CSU didn't offer, um, who's going to Texas A&M and leaves in January. You know, if if you're Trey and and you have to develop regardless, how can they walk into 6-0 and I can see the talent and develop them into Division One prospects? Cole Taylor went to LSU last year. CSU didn't even recruit him until he started getting recruited by everybody else. They were always talented, always athletic, and could always play. How is it that I can develop the talent, but CSU's college football program and all their coaches and resources and money can't? How is it that Colorado can't find a way to keep kids home and develop them into professional talents? How is that? I don't understand it. And I, I truly believe this wholeheartedly, and I say it to coaches all the time, until you start using your eyes and trusting your own coaching ability to develop talent you're going to miss on guys that should be staying home and that you should build around and and i truly believe it and i'll die on that hill so colorado colorado state i think they're both headed in in the right direction just one's going faster um i hope that they play this weekend that would be kick ass that would uh definitely sure up my Saturday because as of right now I'm just going to go in a corner and cry because they gave me two we two weeks of football and then they took it away from me because somebody has the sniffles or COVID or whatever um <clears throat> so we'll see what happens there the rest of the college football Saturday you know the, the good teams are winning the bad teams aren't the, the same damn four going to be in the playoff it looks like Ohio State Clemson maybe Notre Dame gets in but I doubt they can beat Trevor Lawrence's Clemson team in the ACC title game Alabama looks like they're going to run over everybody in the SEC Cincinnati getting in at four is laughable BYU getting in at four is laughable Who Oregon's probably going to win the Pac-12 and if they're undefeated at seven or eight no even with the condensed schedule they're going to get the four seed uh, Texas A&M and Florida you know they kind of Texas A&M already lost Alabama, and Texas A&M beat Florida. So, you know, I think that the the four teams into the playoff this year are Ohio State, Clemson, Oregon, and Alabama. And those are pretty standard. They could have picked those at the beginning of the year and, and hit a home run. So I guess we'll see what's, uh, what's going on there as the year progresses. All right, so NFL as a whole, this Thursday night game was wild. Uh, the Colts came out and as an underdog at Tennessee – and whipped the Titans' ass, um, and they doubled them up 34-17. Phillip Rivers is getting a lot of slack about turnovers and not being athletic enough to make an open field tackle. Last time I checked, he plays quarterback who gives a shit. He played well, and the Colts are sitting at 6-3, and three, and as of right now, they would be the four seed hosting the Raiders in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, Tampa Bay rebounds with a 46-23 win over the Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater gets annihilated. He's out. Uh, Christian McCaffrey didn't play. 
But the the Bucks, I wish they could have played like that on Sunday night against the Saints. It would have been a much better game. Um, Ryan Jensen, their center, who's having an all-pro year, moves to left guard uh, with Allie Marpet going out. And, you know, they run right behind him for a 98-yard touchdown to Ronald Jones. Earlier in the year, he did the same thing on an 85-yard scamper to uh, Leonard Fournette earlier in the season, right over the A-gap uh, with an ace block, and this one was a deuce with him at left guard. So it's it's good to see the Dungeon family down there balling out. Uh, Ryan's having a hell of a year, and Tom Brady seemed to figure it out. They've got a ton of weapons. Um, the Antonio Brown thing's interesting. You know, he's already in the news negatively for beating the hell out of a security camera and throwing a bike at somebody or something uh, at a gated community. So Antonio Brown just needs to, like, go in his house and – lock the door in a padded room and just scream at himself before he goes to practice and then go to practice and then go home and scream at yourself some more. So, you know, Antonio Brown seems like the kind of psychopath that would actually have a subscription to Pornhub. I mean, let's be real. If you have a Pornhub subscription, you're a fucking psycho. Psycho. Just remember that. Any of you with subscriptions, fucking psycho. You probably have duct tape and like... You know, a bandana in your car. Wait a second. Everybody has duct tape and bandana. These times, it's COVID time. Still nuts. So, no Pornhub subscriptions, please. Um, So, the Bills and the Cardinals play the game of the weekend. I thought Buffalo wrapped it on the the touchdown pass to Diggs. That was crazy. Kyler Murray is the MVP, in my opinion, right now. That was an unbelievable throw. (laughs) Bill O'Brien, once again, Bro, how in the hell did you trade a second-round pick in David Johnson for for DeAndre Hopkins? How? And how did the Broncos not get in on this? Like, DeAndre Hopkins was out there for for some washed-up running back and a second-rounder? And the only team to jump on it was the Cardinals? Shit, man. DeAndre Hopkins might be the best player at his position in a long time. Best hands I've seen since Chris Carter. Um, the way he high-pointed that ball in the end zone was nuts. The Cardinals play the Seahawks in Seattle on Thursday night. That game's going to be crazy. Both teams at 6-3. and three. The NFC West, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals are all at 6-3. and three. I, All three of those teams are probably getting in, just like you're probably getting three from the north uh, in, in the AFC. Although Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland's like the seven seed or something. And uh, yeah, Cleveland's the nine seed with a 6-3 and three record in the AFC. That is, that is insane how good the AFC is. So uh, the the Buffalo uh, Arizona game was insane. Um, you know, from a betting perspective, I'm sure people were freaking out, thinking they won, and then you know having their heart ripped out at the end, like that both ways. That's what makes sports betting fun. To be completely honest with you, uh, Seattle and the Rams, twenty three sixteen, L.A. Rams. Their defense is legit, and that's why I think they're going to end up winning that division. Aaron Donald again dominated. First time in a long time Russell Wilson threw no touchdowns and multiple interceptions. Um, I think he was overplaying a little bit and trying to force it. DJ Metcalf got absolutely shut down by Jalen Ramsey. So, you know, the Rams have a great defense. The Seahawks and the Cardinals have leaky defenses, but unbelievably good and productive offensive systems. So that is going to be one interesting division down the last six, seven weeks of the season. Um, you know, quickly, Pittsburgh includes the 9-0, and mopping up Cincinnati. Uh, the the Saints beat the 49ers 27-13. Drew Brees breaks five ribs and gets his lung collapsed. Maybe it's time to retire, Drew. Um, I will say this. They called a roughing the passer call on that call, and it, it I understand that he broke his ribs. Poor little guy. But that was not a dirty hit. 
and to just throw the flag on it because Drew got his little ass destroyed. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Ruiz could have blocked the dude, but he overset and gave up, you know, an inside-outside move, and 95 ran through your boy's chest, and he broke his ribs. I don't see how that's a foul. He didn't hit him with his with his helmet. He wrapped him up and dropped him. He happens to be 320, and he rolled off of him at the end, and they still called the fucking penalty. So I, I thought that was atrocious, and to be completely honest with you, all the pretty boy quarterbacks that just get protected constantly, plus $100 million contracts, and still suck, um, not that Drew sucks, but still, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just not a two way street with quarterbacks. You can't touch them, can't breathe on them. And I understand that you can't win without them. But last time I checked, protecting the quarterback was how you keep them healthy, not, not having the refs doing the pass protection. So that was horseshit. Uh, Baltimore, New England, counting out New England is laughable every year. People do it, myself included. Now they're four and five and looking like they're going to make a playoff run. Uh, they beat Baltimore with the help of a, uh, an absolute monsoon in New, at New England, 23-17. to tw- uh, 17. Again, Lamar Jackson, I love how when the Ravens win, it's because of their run game and, uh, and their defense. But when they lose, it's all on Lamar Jackson. It's a six-point loss at, at New England. I mean, come on, man. Uh, it's not the end of the world. The Ravens are going to be a playoff team, and they're going to be a hard out. They play Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving night. That's going to be a huge game, although I don't think they can win the North. So when looking at the playoff predictions now in the in the AFC, Pittsburgh's the one. If we open the playoffs today, Kansas City would host Baltimore, Buffalo would host Miami, the Colts would host the Raiders, and then the Titans, Browns, and New England round out eight, nine, and ten. The NFC, Green Bay's the one. New Orleans would host Seattle. Arizona would host the Rams, and the Eagles would host the Bucks with the Bears, Lions, and Niners rounding that out, although I'm sure Chicago dropped with last night's anemic offensive performance on Monday Night Football. That was the worst offensive performance I've ever seen. It was, it was way worse than Sunday with the Broncos. At least they were trying to move the ball and throw it down the field. Last night's Chicago Bear offensive performance was maybe the worst offensive performance in Chicago Bear history offensively. And that's saying something. They've had some shit quarterbacks and offensive systems. So if you think you're, you're frustrated in Denver, go be a Bear fan because they actually have a defense that can win you football games with elite talent all over it, and their offense is dog shit. So I guess it is what it is. Like we said here on episode 90 of McChesney Unchained, uh, before we get into the turning point today, which is going to be a whole lot of fun, I'm sure, uh, we have O-Line Mastermind, Mr. Duke Mannyweather, on the show today. Uh, follow him at BigDuke50 on Twitter uh, and Instagram. He's a great follow. Uh, he was just on NFL Films talking about his philosophies and how he does things. And we're going to break Duke, Duke on here now and, uh, and, and talk shop, talk the trench, and, uh, and get this rolling. And it is my honor and pleasure to bring on my man, Duke Mannyweather of O-Line Masterminds. Uh, remember, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at BigDuke50, and it is a hell of a follow and somebody that you should definitely follow for all things Trench. Uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to bring on Duke on to McChesney Unchained, episode 90. Duke, my brother, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time today to talk shop. Oh, Matt, thanks for having me, man. Uh, we've been trying to get this particular episode done now for probably six months. But as you know, uh, we're kind of in uncharted territory still um, in terms of the landscape of what societies end up uh, being. But here we are. And I think uh, I'm a true believer of timing. I think timing is everything. I think right now is the right time for this episode to come out. 
I do too. And, and it's, it's coming off of a destruction of the Broncos defense by a very <laughs> physical offensive line with the Las Vegas Raiders. But not only that, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about our top defensive players, our top offensive players, how to develop the trench. I played both ways for, for five of my six years in the NFL. It gave me a very unique perspective. Duke went to Humboldt State. He's got a powerlifting background, but at the same time, the thing I love about Duke's process and the O-line masterminds is for as much as he's teaching, he's also listening and bringing in as much knowledge as possible from all these pros. Duke and I both work with guys like Ryan Jensen, Ron Leary, Tremaine Archman, the junior who, who was out there with you training for the combine this year, big Cole Cabral, but all these NFL players. Duke, in your opinion, those guys, what separates just a – a born offensive lineman, and you know what I'm talking about, guys that hate practice and are depressed, as opposed to a guy who understands what a trench monster is and really could do both things. Mindset. Yep. It's the mindset, definitely. And you hit a couple of nails on the head just in, the, in teeing that particular question up. Um, and really what it is is it's always going to be about the guys in the arena, you know, the guys that put their hand in the dirt on Saturday and Sundays. Thursday and Monday nights, respectively. Um, but I end up learning more from, from them than anything. And it's very simple. When you think about the aggregation of information, all these guys have had different paths, have had different experiences in terms of their development, as you have, as I have. And so when you start to listen, to understand, and to comprehend, instead of listening to respond and tell somebody that they're wrong, it changes your mindset a little bit in terms of development. And so what I've learned um, over the years is I listen, I take everything in, I process, I know what I'm going to be about, I know what direction I want to move in, but oftentimes new ideas spark evolution and even, and even like just a vast different mindset of how you're going to approach different things. So I think the biggest difference um, really between like that born offensive lineman and then the guys that really excel is the mindset. It's the ability to take in information, process information, understand who you are, what your strong suits are. And then one thing that I'm really big at is understanding where a guy's strong suit and wheelhouse is, understanding what makes them unique, then we develop that, you know. And, and Maximize always, your strength. Yep. Yeah, and that and that's always the 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 goal. I heard a great story about I forgot what it was a couple of years ago. Tiger Woods lost the Masters, and um, it was he lost it on the same type of shot that he missed like three times in a row. And after that, people saw Tiger Woods working on that shot, you know, a hundred times a day for like the next couple of months. And somebody pulled Tiger Woods aside and they said, Tiger, we noticed you're working on your weakness, um, you know, which you lined up. And Tiger Woods looked at the guy. He goes, I'm not working on my weakness. He goes, golf is my strength. I'm one of the best in the world in what I do. He goes, I'm working within my craft to get better at what I'm the best in the world at what I do because it's still a strength for me. So what I tell guys, when these guys that play on Sundays and put their hand in the dirt, um, there's no mistake about it that they're the best of the best. They're the elite. Uh, there's still room and opportunities to add new things. And so when we start to train and develop these guys, we're not per se working on their weakness. We're enhancing their strength and developing it. Amen. Uh, and, and that's from a skill 
perspective, that's from a strength perspective, and that's definitely from a mental capacity uh, perspective. So, Duke, uh, first of all, thanks for doing the show again. It, it's awesome. Remember to follow uh, Duke at Big Duke 50 on Twitter and Instagram. It's a great follow. Um, when I'm when I got moved from defense to offense in my second season with the Jets, and I, I went from you know a one one gap or a two gapper, and I think my job's hard, and all I have to do is turn and chase the ball to actually understanding football. When I got moved, Bill Callahan was my first ever offensive line coach, and he was so detailed in everything he did. And I think that's the reason I'm so detailed in how I coach now. Why do you think so many guys are taught just what they play rather than chess instead of checkers? Instead of me taking nine years of defense and three technique and only knowing like zone blitzes and B-gap work, why did it take that long to learn pass protections and foreign fan band slides and squeeze gaps and deuce calls and heavy calls and everything that offensive line play is? Why don't you think they teach that to defensive players? Because it's the first thing I teach them when they walk in the door. It's Offensive line is a very unnatural position. It's a learned skill. Um, it takes – um, attention to detail, the micro detail and macro detail. The micro detail is essentially the how and why. Um, the the and then and the, you know that's really the micro, and then the macro is the what. You know, large scale global system. What are we trying to accomplish? Why are we doing this? And how we're going to do this is what ends up being the micro. But uh, there's nothing natural about the position. Uh, we're playing against athletic defensive linemen that are in many cases just as big, uh, sometimes more, um, you know, explosive and stronger and better athletes per se. And what we're asked to do in many situations is retreat and keep them from getting to the quarterback or we're asked to displace them, move a man from point A to point B against his will, um, you know, to open up a lane to clear up a read. And so there's a lot that goes into, one, just being able to play offensive line and then playing it effectively versus when you look at D-line, um, many people don't know, I coached D-line for three years at Humboldt State University, you know, and that was, and what it was, it was Coach Rob Smith, who's a legendary Division II coach, has had success everywhere he's been. But Rob looked at my ability to coach O-line over the years and knew that D-line was lacking, you know? And so when he went to hire a coach, he said, I don't think there would be a better guy to coach D-line than you. And he told me all the reasons why. And I didn't see it until we came away out of that conversation. We had about a two hour conversation and he really laid it out to me that because of my experience as an offensive lineman, the perspective that I was gonna give D-linemen was more of a teaching and a global approach to understand how to tap, yep. you know, the weaknesses. And so all of a sudden it went, aha. And it all clicked for me that if I wanted to get better, I always, offensive line is my will, but if I wanted to get better, I needed to understand what was going on on the other side of the fence. And so I think that three years of coaching D-line, um, and I sat in on every defensive line, uh, I mean, every linebacker meeting, every safety meeting, all the game planning meetings, uh, just to get a global 
idea and perspective of what we were trying to do to attack offenses and how that uh, really uh, threw a wrench, so to speak, into what O-linemen were doing. On the flip, I was able to give my perspective as a former offensive lineman and a guy who had coached O-line already for three years at the college level and was a run game coordinator. Hey, listen, when we line up in this way, at this part of the field, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to formation the shit out of you or, you know, we're trying to make sure we get um, in a situation where you have to over-adjust and we can gang it all or we can ace-bring it. That way we've always got numbers. And all of a sudden with them, you can see those are guys that had coached a long time on the defensive side of the ball, but then when you hear the actual nuance of a former offensive lineman, it was an aha for everybody. And I can remember in 2011, we ended up having one of the greatest um, defenses in Humboldt State history. I remember in the conference championship game, we held an offense that was averaging close to 500 yards to like 70 yards of total offense. Good God. Like, it, it's seven points. And, uh, you know, um, I, I can't take credit for that, but I think it was truly a, a team approach, not only from the coaching staff, but we also had really great players um, as well for uh, Humboldt State that year. But um, I say that to say this. When you start to learn the other side of the fence and when you start to really keen in on, you know, just learning and progressing in that manner, making sure everything is a progression and then understanding why, uh, making sure that players understand why they're doing what they're doing. You're not telling them, but you're teaching them. Teaching. Yep. That's when the development comes about. And, and I think uh, to answer uh, essentially what you really want to know is I don't think we're seeing that so much because there's just not enough time. There's not enough time in the off seasons. There's not enough time inside the building to give people the global approach and global view of the what and why. Um, we just want to teach them the how, you know, this is how we're going to do it. So that said, okay. And it's a two part question. Saying that they don't have time means they either like to sleep in or they're in season. For the six months that they're out of season, I'm trying to make the trench cool. I'm trying to make when a kid walks in and he goes, I want to play college football, I go, you're six seven. You're a def- you're an offensive tackle. No, I'm a three technique. Well, then show me your three technique. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm trying to make the offensive line cool. You've made the offensive line cool because it's it's so technical and it it is you have to be so smart and athletic it's not just a an athlete meathead position so that said with the transformation of offenses and you know the way pat mahomes has transformed offenses and andy reed changing his philosophies and the, the rpos and what kyler murray's doing and russell wilson's doing and so on and so forth with the skill athletes and quarterbacks evolving the way they have with defenses in the second and third level evolving the way they have with pass rushers evolving the way they have What's the next step for the trench? What's the next step for the big guys? Because for so long, I heard kick step and both hand punch. And I teach drive catch off your inside foot, independent hands. Don't overset, make, don't beat yourself, things of that nature. At what point do you think that the old archaic way of doing things is going to die off and it's going to be more, more structured towards knowledge rather than practice? So this is going to be interesting and I'm going to bring it full circle here. So I think with the evolution of where the game is going, not with just the skilled players, but how dynamic and athletic these defensive linemen are getting, if you really look closely, 
the guys that are really tremendous, resilient, and phenomenal on the offensive linemen have the characteristics of some of the offensive old school players. Off- no, of the old school offensive linemen per se. Like and what Conrad I mean Butler? by and what I mean by <laughs> what I mean by that <laughs> is when you look at these guys, most of these guys are very technically sound, great stance, great footwork, great hand placement. Um, they've got tremendous balance. They're able to recover. That uh, those, I truly believe there needs to be a high valuation of technique over just the physical traits, because what we're starting to see is the guys that have those tremendous physical traits that are you know and loads of potential are the guys that end up coming in and sucking, you know, and it takes them yep. three, four, five years to get it. Um, but, and, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault. They went out there in college and they did the best that they could do, um, that warrant them to be a first or second or third round pick. And then they got placed into the fire with these unfair expectations and people just forget that development is a process, you know, always talk about when we look at the cycles of development, whether we're talking about high school, the high school cycle of development is four years. When we're talking about exhausting all college um, eligibility, essentially, if you go, it's three or four years. When we even look at the Olympics, five, five, you know, and if we look at the Olympic cycle, the Olympics happen what every four years. But the NFL, we do this thing where we grade and we evaluate potential of what a guy can be. All right, we uh. It's clear as day on film, especially for offensive linemen. Uh, that's not going to translate to Sunday, but we see the physical traits and the gifts. But then all of a sudden, we think from February, March, April, those physical traits that we evaluated all of a sudden are going to be skill in June and July, and everything is going to be okay. And it's not until year three or four you're seeing with the Garrett Bowles this year who's starting to put it together. That's who I was going to bring up is he took three years to develop and now is his fourth season. He's blown up. Yeah. I I don't know if it's because of what he did or who's coaching him. It could be a combination of the both. And it could be a mindset thing of, you know, much just making it make sense to him. It could be just, he put it all together, but we give up on guys too easy. And so my point of saying this is when I look at a guy on tape, making that transition from college to a pro, I'm always going to look at, all right, does he have the baseline physical traits? Okay. If he has the baseline physical traits and he has way above average critical factors in terms of what he's able to do as an actual offensive lineman in terms of technique and hand placement, hand usage, what he does with his hands, the leverage that he plays with, where's his hat placement going? You know, his overall concept of being able to recover. Is he strong in the core? Um, Is he able to anti-rotate if he gets pried open? Those are all things that traditionally, if you see it on their college tape, it's going to automatically transfer. Those are the guys that typically have success early on in their careers, and they start to develop into tremendous players. When you see a guy that has those physical traits and you think he's athletic as I don't know what, but he's just he's not either physically dominating or he's just flashing and he gets beat because he's out of position or oh he's got athletic feet, quick feet. But if his feet aren't efficient and those feet are not always getting him in position to effectively use his hands, that's very hard to correct. 
Amen. It it's, it's not just going to magically go away on Sundays after two to three months. And always, here's another thing, and I'm giving away the secret sauce a little bit. When you're looking at offensive linemen coming out of college, all right, and granted, you can say whatever you want about maybe some guys just learn different. If there is an offensive line coach with a history and track record of developing guys and having a great pipeline of developing guys and getting the most out of guys, and you get a guy that is just athletic with no technique or mental lapse or breakdowns, that's a guy that you want to pick over with a fine-tooth comb because mm-hmm. there's something to it. Either the way the coach was relaying the message and the whole philosophy to the kid was not getting through, so he may learn different, or maybe the kid relied, was not confident in his highest level of training and reverted back to just leaning on his athletic ability. But when I see that, I act as an investigator and I want to dig deeper because that lets me know what the true potential of capacity for development for that guy is moving into Sunday. You know, and so that's one thing that I have always kind of kept as my secret recipe and not to toot my own horn, but it has not let, let me astray per se. It works. It, it works really it works. well. It works, yep. brother. And look, yeah, we'll go back to this, but I, offensive linemen have become cool. I think social media has, has a lot to do with it, thank God, oh, because great. I love it. <laughs> even when I got moved in, in 06 or after my second training camp, you know, I played for Herm as a rookie and played a lot on defense. And then all of a sudden, I'm in, the, I'm in the offensive or I'm in the meeting room. Last guy cut and Tannenbaum and Mangini are looking at me like, hey, you want to play defense or do you want a job? And I'm like, I guess I'll take a job. And I had to trust them in what they saw. It's one of my niches is getting defensive players and turning them into offensive players. Ben Garland's our, our most successful one. And, you know, started yeah. for, the, for the Niners, started two Super Bowls. And he played defense his whole life. I, I think that that's going to continue. Why do you think defensive linemen, and I think it's, it's super stupid, why do you think so many defensive linemen would rather play defensive line than take that jump and go, yeah, I'll move? I think there's I so many guys that don't get an opportunity to play on Sunday that could play if they would just accept the fact that they're not a defensive lineman anymore. My, my senior year of college, brother, I had 60 tackles and 15 TFLs and nine sacks. And when I got to the NFL, Pete Kendall and Brandon Moore, who was a defensive lineman at Illinois, and, and Mangold and Brick and, and all these cats. Wayne Hunter. Yeah, Wayne Hunter. They're all better athletes than me or as good. So I don't have the advantage anymore. Why do you think it's such a hard thing for guys to understand that the trench is the trench? Being a physical football player is being physical. If you want to go dominate someone's ass, understanding the snap count and the angles can help you immensely, especially if you're athletic. Yeah. You know what? I don't have an answer for you in terms of why guys don't want to do it. Um, Me, I was always an offensive lineman my entire life that also played D-line. But, like, my main thing was offensive line. Um, O-line first. Yeah, it was O-line first, and then I did play D-line all the way growing up. the it's the only thing that makes me good at my job, though, Duke. Just like you said, you yeah. had you've you've taught both. The only reason I'm any good at this, and the only reason I've had the success that we've had, is because I did both things. So that, that's mm-hmm. my point: is why not try and absorb as much as possible? Unless you're one of these first round dynamos. I mean, playing's playing on the field is on the field. Yeah, I don't really have an answer to that. I think that 
if mo more guys would be receptive to that switch or understand. I think what you're starting to see, though, with some of these outliers in terms of money being made now on the O-line, um, they're starting to see. Actually, already got deep. paid yesterday, brother. $105 yeah. million for a fifth-round draft pick. And let me tell you, he's going to see $62.8 million in the first two years. Oh, my God, my heart. <laughs> like, that, 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 that is the best deal. of Like, Tonto's deal was great. You know, it was a three-year, $66 million, 42 guaranteed, 42 uh, due to him in the first year and a half of the contract. Great 65 job. $65 million? But he's going to do – Bakhtiari is going to have $62.8 million due to him by the end of next year. So that like in the last in the last three years, Ryan Jensen, Nate Salter, and Bakhtiari, all Colorado kids, have signed those huge deals. Yep. It's just there there's some real talent in these hills here in in, in the Mile High City, man. And we've talked about that before. Uh we just wanted to get some of the Nike camps and stuff out there. We got uh, dudes, bro. I've got I've yeah. I've put out in the last three years, we put out about 35 D1 offensive linemen. Yeah. I mean, it's just so I think when I think now we're starting to see a shift. And my whole philosophy over the past 10 years is to paint a really detailed and vivid picture of the, the ingredients, per se, that goes into making an offensive alignment. That way we can get a clear picture uh, on what it takes. Because I truly believe that for a very long time, and we're starting to come around a little bit, offensive line were talked about wrong handled wrong, developed wrong, and just Bad even, guys. Evalu yeah, yeah. Just even ev evaluated wrong. And, uh, you know, I think that um, we're starting to see a paradigm shift. And, right. you know, the, the piece that we had with NFL Films and – Which uh, was incredible, by the way. You know, it's just a real snippet. Um, we're hearing there's going to be a, a series put together with that, so that's really cool. Nice. Um, but the feedback that I got back is like, this makes offensive line cool. And I'm saying, and I'm saying it, it's always been cool. You guys are just now catching up, you know? So <laughs> it took me I forever, man. When, when they moved me, a part of myself died in the office. I was like, Oh, you think I'm an offensive lineman? Great. And then I moved and I was like, wow, this is actually real football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's a lot that goes into preparing for online. There's a lot that goes into understanding that you're, block, you're one block away from springing the thing. But at the same time, you got five individuals working towards a common goal. Yep. It's unlike anything in football. It is the only position where you know you don't really have an opportunity to score or to make a play. You know, your ability to make a play is to either halt a guy from getting from point A to point B against his will or move a guy from point A to point B against his will. That's all you got. And you got to get up and do it again. If there's 70 plays in the game, you dang near need to be perfect for on 67. Plays. Yep. Yep. And because I said, I used plays, it. Two to, no, three go plays, ahead. two to three plays are getting behind and paid. And that's the thing I, I tell my guys all the time. I'm like, okay, we play 100 plays. I say it to him at least three times a week. We play 100 plays, and for 98 of them, I'm on offense, and I'm just kicking ass. I grade out at 98%, and the two plays I give up are strip sack fumbles that get returned. I'm the worst player on the field. 
and I graded out 98%. The D lineman made two plays and graded out at 2%, but two of them were strip sack fumbles. He's getting paid. You're getting cut. And that's just the way it is. All right, so yep. Duke Mannyweather joins us here on episode 90, McChesney Unchained. Remember, you can follow Duke at VidDuke50 on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you give him a follow. And tell everybody how they can check out the NFL Films show because it was truly incredible. I forgot to bring it up at the beginning. Uh, something that I'm definitely going to rewatch, and I want everybody to. So tell them how they can get a hold of that, and then we'll talk a little football history with you and get you out of here. Absolutely. So um, NFL Films did a tremendous piece on us. You know, the whole episode was actually really good. Um, we got about the last 15 minutes um, of the NFL Films present. It aired first on FS1 last week, uh, but it's on it's on Facebook right now on NFL Films. It's on the NFL Films Twitter as well, but it just gives you an inside look at the intricacies of O-line masterminds and the true essence of which the mastermind principle is about uh, what Napoleon Hill talked about, you know, um, you know, 70, 80 years ago. So I urge everybody, if you missed it on FS1, all right, even if you saw it on um, Twitter and you've seen it on Facebook, I'm sure eventually it will be on Instagram and YouTube, but there is an opportunity on Monday night, November 23rd at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, it'll be on the NFL Network. Nice. Um, and I'm not sure I'm not sure how they're going to frame it up. Um, I'm not sure if this is going to be the extended episode that's, you know, uh, 30 minutes or, or I'm not sure if it's going to be a re-airing of the same piece. But at 8.15, I believe, I would check your local listing uh, Monday night, November 23rd, and look for the NFL Films Presents. Um, but it'll be on. Um, if it is the original piece, if it is the original piece, I want people to be aware that um, the episode will start off with mic'd up of Philip Rivers, and then it'll move on to um, um, a guy that is talking about his book, Alter Egos, which is tremendous. It's a mindset type book talking about the alter ego that the athlete and the NFL player gets into to be able to perform. And then it moves right into our piece, uh, which is O-line Mastermind. So the way they put it that episode together was really darn cool. Hey, man, my alter ego bites me in the ass all the time. I can't find a way to kill him after I got done playing. <laughs> all right, so uh, <clears throat> we got to merge the O-line mastermind philosophy and the Dungeon Fan philosophy, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about that down the road here and get you out to Denver, and I'll get down to Dallas. Um, I wanted to get your perspective here, being a, being a two-way trench monster just like myself. From a pass rush perspective, who are your top five outside pass rushers of all time? Oh, of all time. In no particular order. Oh, I mean, you got to look at Lawrence Taylor. LT. You look at, yeah, you got to look at Derek Thomas. DT. Uh, yeah, you look at guys like uh, Jason Taylor. They're Oof. phenomenal. Uh, and then you got to look at some modern guys. I think a guy that was really <laughs> underrated um, that has just done nothing but have a tremendous career is Terrell Suggs. Terrell Suggs. Oh, Suggs was guys, awesome. When guys needed a big play, Terrell Suggs was right there, you know, every, and I mean, just up until last year, you know, um, you look at Michael oh, Super Strahan. Bowl. Yep. Michael Strahan, yep. tremendous. Um, you look at Kevin Reggie Green. White. Reggie, Reggie White, White. Kevin Green. I Bruce mean, just Smith. tremendous. Yep. So when you look at that history of guys alone, it's really difficult to talk about a top five guy. Um, and when you're talking about kind of transcending the game and positions, I think you even add in a Von Miller. 
into what Vaughn has done. Yep. I mean, you know, I think the NFL films did a great job of depicting how, you know, Vaughn and myself kind of came up with O-line masterminds and the Vaughn uh, pass rush camp kind of the same year. Um, Vaughn got a lot of notoriety in 2017 where we were kind of just under the radar in 2017 when we first started our mastermind and then people started to know about it 2018, 19 and what it is this year. Right. Um, but Vaughn Miller has done a lot for this game. Um, I think it's safe to say that because of the attention that guys like Vaughn Miller now dictate and what Vaughn Miller has put on the map in terms of just dynamic pass rushers still playing with speed, power, and explosion, can turn a game in a quick second. And then what he did off the field with his Von Miller uh, pass rush summit, those are things that transcend and advance the game. And that's what a Hall of Famer is all about. And, and Vaughn's an ambassador for the game, too, man. He's always Absolutely. trying to help somebody, and I, I love that about 58. I personally think if 5'8 can find a way to stay healthy, knock on wood, I know it's a huge problem for everybody, uh, I think he's got another four or five really good years in him and, and a first maybe, ballot Hall of Fame to Canton. Maybe, maybe even more years than that. Um, again, I think he stays healthy and comes back. You know, he, and then this, is my qu- this goes back to knowledge and practice. At what point do we – Ben Roethlisberger him and go, we don't need you to practice this week, Ben, you're good. I don't need practice. We need your knowledge on Sunday. And that, that's another huge thing with Vaughn, especially if you want to keep him healthy. Uh, let me ask you this question, too, because I know you talk about him a lot, and so do I. Um, I think that the, the best interior rusher ever is John Randall, and Aaron Donald is crawling up his backside to take that mantle quickly. Um, why? What's the fascination with the six foot six defensive lineman? Why, I, you know, I, I work with a kid named Mason Maddox who's a six, two and a half, super explosive three technique. It's so hard to get that kid recruited, but it, Aaron Donald's barely six foot. John Randall's 5'11. Like, at yeah. what point is leverage more important than length? And when you have both, how lethal is it? Both of those guys had both, um, have both. Um, they're, you know, six foot, but both extremely long arms, um, very powerful. Um, even if you see John Randall to this day, you know, John Randall still very much involved up in Minnesota. And when I went up there to do some stuff with Minnesota last year, um, there was John Randall. He looks like he can still put his hand in the dirt and get after you. Uh, when, you look, yep, when you look at Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald's built in the same mode where if they wanted to, they could spend an offseason and be professional bodybuilding. That's what, that's what they look like. Um, but, you know, Aaron Donald's a problem, man. Um, he's a guy that comes up. When we talk about O-line masterminds and we're, we're breaking down people, you know, 99 is a guy that immediately we go to, we, we show a lot of attention to and trying to slow him down. And, you know, he's going to get his, but what we try to do is lower the percentages, so to speak, and, and the percentages of him getting his. That way, is it a high percentage or a low percentage? We can live with, you know, him making one or two plays, but we don't want him wrecking the game and this year he's wrecking the game it doesn't game matter. wrecker it doesn't matter who he's playing against he's, he's I mean, the he, defensive player of the year right i mean he's easy. gotta be he's i mean what he what he's done to some elite offensive linemen i mean love zach martin but what he did to zach martin was crazy i've never seen that done um, zach martin is an all pro too it's not like zach martin's a scrub he's out there yeah. beating the hell out of all pros i mean zach martin's a hall of famer i mean plain and simple and, uh, you know, what Aaron Donald was, has, has been able to do and did um, is pretty impressive. I'm not sure. I think just as a whole, when we look at evaluations, we get so infatuated with the measurables. 
And a lot of times that blinds us to the fact that, hey, this kid can play football. Can play. It's the same thing with O-linemen. I, I, I've, I've asked GMs before, do you want a 6'6 guy that has 35 and a half inch arms and can't block a troll on Twitter because he can't use his hands? <laughs> or, or do you want a, a 6'3 guy with 34 inch arms with, with ridiculous hand usage? I'm taking that 6'3 with 34 inch arm every who day has, who is highly skilled with ridiculous hand placement and hand usage. I'm I taking it, that. Man. I love I'm it. taking that. All right, so let me ask you one more question before we get you out of here on episode 90 McChesney Unchained. The great Duke Merriweather from O-Line Masterminds joining us. Make sure you you'd follow him at BigDuke50 on Twitter and Instagram and check out the show on NFL Network. Um, you've got one left tackle against any of those pass rushers. Who are you taking? Right now, it's Ron Armstead. I'm taking Ron oh, Armstead. He is nasty. How about all yeah. time? Ooh, probably Ogden. That's who I got. That's my number one. Uh, see? Yeah, Great I'm minds, brother. Masterminds. But, but I tell you what, man. I mean, just like you look at it. I mean, Joe Thomas, Willie Rove. Orlando Walter Pace, Jones, Walter Jones. Walter Jones, man. There's yep. so many. And I've been so fortunate. Uh, quick story. One of the cool things about doing O-Line Mastermind and you saying that O-Line is cool again is some of the connections I've been able to make. And – there's a couple of guys that I grew up watching and like admiring and just could not get enough of watching their game that I talk to very regularly now. Because when I first started this O-line mastermind, I wanted to reach out to them and kind of get them involved and tell them stories. And then once they saw uh, what I was attempting to do, it, it almost became them thanking me for, again, bringing that prestige back to the O-line. And it's guys like Walter Jones, who I've talked to, Willie Rowe, who I have a great relationship with, Joe Thomas, of course, um, have had great conversations with him. Um, you know, Will Shields, I hear from Will Shields every now and then um, via either text message or email. And then Jesse Sapulu, who was at um, who was at Online Masterminds this year with just some gems and stories. Kevin Mawai, Olin Crew, hearing from all those guys. Yep the guys that did it the right way. And when you look at it, weren't just outliers in many ways. It, 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 they just, they paved the way for what the game is now for offensive linemen. Um, and you're starting to see some return to that. When you look at guys, a guy I work with, Makai Becton, I, I kept telling people. Such a Mekhi, good player. Yeah, Makai's got that old school golden era size with this new school mentality in terms of that, or this new school athleticism where he's, you know, six seven, six eight. He's three hundred sixty pounds and runs a five flat and oh. has a thirty three inch vert. But he's he's highly skilled. You know, feet, base, hands, great understanding of what the game um, and what the defenders are trying to do to him. So though he has those physical traits, he's very skilled in what he does. And I think that's what it all goes back to, man. Is the traits are great, but those critical factors, the stance, the feet, the hand placement, the positioning, the posture, those are all things that I think we can all agree on as coaches and developers and trainers and things of that nature. Those need to be harped on because what's important are the things that they're going to use every day for that foundational base. What I always tell mm-hmm. guys, when we're building a house, if we're a house and we're structured, all right, we need to lay that foundation and it needs to be solid because once we get that house on top of it, you can't shift the structure and the foundation 
and expect the house to still stand with no sweat. So yep. I always um, say there's no foundations in trailer parks, boys. No, nope. you gotta have a you gotta have a basement in your foundation, or your house is gonna blow away when it gets windy. And we yep. we really think a lot a lot of the the same uh, on a lot of different things, Duke brother. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It, it absolutely made my day. Uh, everybody, make sure you listen to this a couple of times, especially if you're in the trench. Uh, how do they get a hold of you? And then uh, also, um, thank you, obviously. Yeah, no problem. Um, so as you mentioned, my Twitter is at Big Duke Fifty. Instagram is slightly different. It's at the Big Duke Fifty. Oh my um, bad. No, it's all good. Um, I'm very active on both of those. Um, a lot of people have been tweeting me, emailing me about Oli Masterminds T-shirts. Go to StrikeLeverageDryFinish.com. You can get the T-shirts on there. Again, StrikeLeverageDryFinish.com. T-shirts are there. Um, it's been tremendous. They're flying off the shelves. We'll probably have hoodies soon as well. Nice. Uh, waiting for Nike to come through on those. So those would be pretty cool. Um, but guys, yeah, I'm out there. Um, Twitter, Big Duke 50. Instagram, the Big Duke 50. For your shirt, StrikeLeverageDryFinish.com. Duke, thank you very much, brother. Stay doing what you're doing on a daily basis and uh, and keep that trench tight. Thank Matt, you so much. I appreciate you, brother. Yep. Later. And we want to give a huge thanks to Duke for coming on the show today. Remember, you can follow Duke at uh, BigDuke50 on Twitter and Instagram. He's a great follow, and the online mastermind hashtag is blowing up with some of the best players uh, in the NFL and college football utilizing his services. We've worked with a lot of same guys from Ryan Jensen to Ron Leary to Tremaine Archam Jr., who's going to be starting for the injured Andrew Whitworth this week at left tackle for the Rams, most likely. Um, but a lot of crossover, and and Duke's a guy that I highly respect in this industry who's really doing it the right way. So uh, us O-line and D-line gurus are few and far between out there, but he's one of the best. So make sure that you uh, you follow Duke and uh, and and take a look at everything O-line mastermind. All right, so let's get into this. Broncos and the Raiders. Okay. I don't want to just be totally negative here, but when you lose like that to the Raiders in your first trip to Vegas, five turnovers, multiple hits on Drew Locke, Multiple scheme screw ups. I mean, they they were going to go over it in the turning point again. But last week, when Phil Lindsay got ran over by the Sam linebacker on a full turn away with two guys not blocking anybody, they did the same damn thing the other day to the Raiders, and they put Freeman or 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 Gordon, whoever it was, on the defensive end for God's sakes. He was brought, blocking Max Crosby. And the linebacker came off the edge. So not only did they do it wrong again from a scheme perspective and a slide perspective, but the Raiders schemed them up and they brought two off the edge this time. And and the Broncos screwed it up. And there was two guys in the, in the pass protection that weren't blocking anyone. Again, we'll go over it in the turning point when we get to it. The, the turnovers are, and the bad throws are on Drew Locke. He's the one that had the ball in his hand last before he let it go. He's thrown off his back foot. He's throwing into zone pressures to defensive ends for picks. He's overthrowing seam routes, and you know he's being super aggressive at the on the goal line, and that's great. I love aggressive football play, but I hate stupid quarterbacks. And I'm not saying that Drew doesn't have the potential to be great. I'm saying Drew doesn't know what the hell he's doing. 
He doesn't know the protections. I bet he doesn't know the fronts. He doesn't know what a squeeze gap is. He doesn't know the difference between Ray and Lee and Roger and Louie and Terry and Tally 5-0. He doesn't know how to change everything. I never, ever see him walk up to the line of scrimmage and slow things down and use the whole play clock to change the protection or the play. I've seen Brett Rippon do it, so it makes me think that somebody's coaching something in the in the practices. But at the same time, I, I am a huge believer that the modern young quarterback and Drew Locke's one of them. The more that we try and stuff them in this archaic three by one straight drop system where you want them to be Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, you know, Drew Brees, guys like that who are pocket passers, without the ability to go run and use his feet and really put the defense on edge. I think you're doing a disservice to the quarterback in his development. And yes, Drew Locke needs to play better. And yes, he's been terrible this year. And his numbers are at the bottom of the NFL. His completion percentage has dropped almost 12 points. Uh, And a lot of that is because they fired his offensive coordinator last year that he got in sync with. And they brought Pat Schumer in. And again, you've got a 70-year-old head coach that has no frame of reference. And that's an old-ass offensive coordinator who also has no frame of reference. And they would rather try and fit Drew Locke in a certain scheme than build a scheme around Drew Locke that will help maximize the entire offense and, uh, and, and really you know maximize the athletes you have on the field and things of that nature. And I, I just I, – I think that you know a lot of the uh, onus here and a lot of the blame is going to fall on Locke, and it should. He's the quarterback in Denver. But – Let's be real here, man. Uh, the coaches are the ones making the decision not to run the football. The coaches are the ones making the decision. And the GM, John Elway, and the owner, John Elway, and John Elway, who runs everything, he's probably running the offensive line meeting, seeing how bad everyone is up front. I'm just saying that when he's making decisions about Melvin Gordon and then now Phil's not playing, and I, I think Phil's the best running back on the roster, but he hasn't been playing well lately. And I'm not just saying it because he's a homer. And and because he's Dungeon family, I'm saying it because he's better than Melvin Gordon. I didn't really I didn't understand why they brought him in in the first place. But if they're gonna bring him in, can we ride with one of them? You think one of them can get 25, 30 carries? Because actually having Drew Locke pass the ball 50 times a game is a recipe for absolute epic disaster. And we're watching it happen. And it's going to happen again this weekend. The number one defense in football is walking in this weekend. They score on special teams and defense more than anybody. They're extremely aggressive. They hit the quarterback constantly. I'm talking about the Dolphins. A, a team that everybody thought the Broncos would wipe at the beginning of the year is now 6-3 and three and cemented in playoff contention in the, in the very competitive now NFC East, with the exception of my Jets. Ho-hum. That's what happens when you go back to your 1980s uniforms and you try and be cool in your black uniforms. You get your shit pushed in. And they're, they're definitely doing that. There's no doubt about that. So I'm just – I'm looking at this like – I played for Josh McDaniels, and for how much of a schmuck he is from a head coach perspective, he's a damn good offensive coordinator. He acclimated around Cam Newton. You know, I keep I keep listening to people say, well, what if Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields comes here or something like that? And I'm like, the Broncos will fuck it up. They'll try and force them to play in a system that doesn't suit them. And once they do that, they're, you're going to have the same exact shit with Drew Locke. I would not be surprised at all if they run the tires off Drew Locke. Everybody gives up on him, and I'm about to give up on him too, but it's just because I can read the writing on the wall when it comes to the Broncos. They're about to give up on him. They're going to let him play the rest of the year. They're going to finish 4-12 and 12 or whatever, and they're going to draft Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or somebody like that or move up or go get Matthew Stafford and start the whole Joe Flacco disaster again. 
So again, until there is a hard look in the mirror up there offensively and go, the modern quarterback can do more than just pocket pass, unless he's just if you if Davis Mills is there in three years, the Stanford quarterback who's a statue and can rope it, and he's the next Peyton Manning, draft him and I'll shut the fuck up. But until you get that guy, you better acclimate to the new football because the offenses in this league and the rules in this league are set up for success. And when you look around the NFL, the teams who are, I mean, even Matt Nagy, they were talking about this last night with the Bears. The Bears are in these condensed offensive formations with no motion, and the defense is just sitting there licking their chops, waiting for them to either show run fit or show pass fit. And then right when they show it, they're either rushing him and hitting him in the mouth or stopping the run for no gain. And that's what they're doing to the Broncos. The the defense is sitting back knowing they can't get 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 beat deep and knowing that the Broncos are not going to do anything but, you know, the consistent we're going to run the ball on first down, uh second down and 9 or 10 we're going to throw short or we're going to run again and then third and 7 we're going to throw for 4 yards under the sticks and punt. Or take a, a timeout at the 41 and think about it. And that just it doesn't work. You have to rely if your offensive line is better at run blocking than pass blocking like the Broncos offensive line is. Well, lean on them. Control the time of possession. Help your young quarterback by running the football. Don't put everything on him and just expect him to go out there and just rope it around like he's playing the Chargers every half of every game. I just don't understand it. John Gruden, John Gruden is a great coach because of this. And and there's many reasons he's awesome and a future Hall of Fame coach. But my favorite thing about John Gruden is what he did with guys like Devontae Booker and Nelson Aguilar. Like Nelson Aguilar, when he was in Philly, couldn't catch a cold. Came to came to the Raiders, and now he's one of their best deep threats, and he's got confidence, and Gruden throws him the ball. If he drops one, they don't bench him. He just throws him the fucking ball again. Jacobs and Booker, yeah, Devontae Booker went for 16 carries for 85 yards and, and what, two touchdowns, one touchdown? And that touchdown was a just... Just a road-grade ass-kicking run. That's why John Gruden's so good. Jacobs gets his 100 and his two touches and his cut touches, and, and Gruden knows how important this game is to Booker, and he feeds him the whole fourth quarter just to stick it down the Broncos' throat. Devontae Booker looks like he can play to me. Maybe it's the scheme that's the problem and not the players. I'm begging the Denver Broncos to grow up from an offensive mindset. Just... Just mature a little bit into the modern NFL. That's all. That's all I'm asking you to do. Hire a coach that will that will challenge the the standard over it over at Dove Valley, that will challenge someone in the meeting room without, you know, the oh my God, if I say anything wrong, I'm gonna get fired. You're gonna get fired anyway. The NFL means not for long. Do you wanna go out as Elway's puppet or do you wanna go out like Shanahan did? Like, well, fuck it. If you're not going to let me do it my way, I won here forever, so I'm just going to walk. It, getting along with everybody is not the key. Finding a way for everybody to work in the most productive manner so we can win football games is. And it seems like ego and you know the way that football's been done for years is getting in the way of progression, and they're blaming it on a 24-year-old kid. I just don't get it, man. It doesn't make sense to me. And yeah, Drew has to play better. No one's sitting here saying he's, he's been good. He's been terrible. But there are a lot of reasons because of it. And I'll, I'll come back to this. I would not be surprised at all 
if Drew Locke ends up leaving Denver, all right, they they draft somebody and he's the backup next year, and then all of a sudden he's out of Denver, and before you know it, he's somebody's backup, and then he's on the field and he's getting another opportunity just like Ryan Tannehill. Guaranteed. Because Drew can play. Drew's confidence is in the tank right now because he looks around the, the, the meeting room and everybody's just sitting there being like, oh, this is unacceptable. But there's no plan to fix it. We care. We really want it to be fixed. But nobody's trying to actually sit down and have hard conversations on why. I don't hear anybody questioning the coaching in the media. And I don't hear the coaches questioning the players really in the media either. It's almost like, well, we're young this year and we just have to eat it. Well, the, the Dolphins are super fucking young. They're 6-3. and three. They, they sat Fitz down when he was winning, and they're 3-0 and oh since. Tyler Murray's young. He's been there for two years. He's balling. Deshaun Watson's still young. I know that Houston sucks because they, uh, they, they traded Hopkins, but at the same time, he's been pretty good for three years up to this point. He can only get better. I mean, it can't get any worse in Houston. Baker Mayfield's a uh, quarterback on a six-win team. I don't see Joe Burrow having these kind of problems. I know he's not on a good football team, but he's the highlight of that team. He's not the reason they suck. So again, it comes down to development. And it's like the Broncos need everybody to come in developed. And that's horseshit. It's the same Garrett Bowles thing. It took Garrett Bowles four years to develop into a player. Is that because he had to handle his development or the Broncos were pushing it? Because he developed into a hell of a player. And he's probably going to leave now because that's what we do here. We develop talent and we walk walk out. Or we say it can't play and we bench it just so it leaves anyway and then we have to play it and they look pretty good when given opportunity. It makes me angry about the draft talk when we talk about the Broncos in the draft. It's not that the draft picks are bad. It's they don't get legitimate chances to show that they're any good. Period. Period. If John Elway and the front office would sit back and let their people develop and give them real chances and not pull the plug every time something bad happens, they probably have a lot more depth on this team. And next year, they may have a ton of it. It could flip easily next year, and they could be a dominant football team. But you have to go through the bumps and bruises, and this is a massive ass-kicking on Sunday. Big old black guy, couple teeth knocked out, five turnovers to the Raiders. This has gotten people fired in the past. It could get Vic fired this year. I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily, but it's a, it's a huge problem if we're just going to go hire our buddy or we're going to go hire some uh, another you know coach that we're just going to recycle. We need new blood that is going to challenge the status quo, that's not going to just agree with Seven all the time. And to be completely honest with you, Seven's the owner of the Broncos, man. He doesn't have anybody to answer to. He does what he wants. Fuck you, do what I want. And that's the way he rolls. So we're going to have to live with it and figure it out or somebody's going to have to convince John Elway to leave and that shit ain't happening. So he wants to win, but he doesn't want to develop and he doesn't want to rebuild. And I don't know how you, I don't, I don't real, I don't really know how you do both at the same time. I think it's really hard. So to be completely honest with you, I hope the Broncos don't win another game and I hope the Jets find a way to win two or three. So the Broncos are actually in contention for a generational talent at quarterback. But again, again, if they go out and draft a quarterback high in the first round, how long before he's a bust? How long before everybody wants him gone? How long before he can't play? How long before we don't ride with him until he develops? 
I mean, does everybody remember? I know people don't because it's in the you're in social media land and everything. If it didn't happen now, it didn't happen. But Elway was god awful as a rookie. Peyton Manning threw like 28 picks as a rookie. Tom Brady didn't even play. He was a backup. I mean, shit, man. It, it. And this is kind of my point. If you're going to bring in a young quarterback, you better build a system around them that suits them and then teach them how to play the NFL game and institute some of these NFL schemes into what they're doing on a daily basis from a development standpoint and from a game plan standpoint. You can't just walk in and be like, oh, you were in a zone read RPO system in Missouri your whole life. And, you know, you've had two different office coordinators in two years and you've been hurt twice. Uh, but we're just going to we're going to go 11 three by one. And we're going to say we're going to run the ball. But then we're going to trade Andy Janovich and we're going to sign Melvin Gordon. And we're not going to feed Melvin or Phil. We're going to put it all on you. Uh, we're not going to max protect very much. And then we're not going to teach you the fronts or the pass protections. And once you struggle, we're going to blame it all on the kid just so we don't have to take any accountability. That's some coward shit. And that's what's going on down the street, Dove Valley. And I can't, I can't sit here and act like it's okay. It's not okay. You have to figure out a way to develop your talent. It can't just be on the, on the kid quarterback. It has to be on the, on the Hall of Fame quarterback that's upstairs. That for, what, 15 years in Denver, we saw struggle with incomplete teams. And then the minute he got somebody in there that could challenge the status quo and do it his way, he built an offensive line and a running game. And boom, two Super Bowl titles. It just I don't understand what the confusion is. Build your offensive line, run the goddamn football, protect your investment at quarterback before you destroy him mentally, and he's headed down that road. Or pick high in the draft every year and turn the Broncos into the fucking donkeys. It's unbelievable. That is that. Episode 90, McChesney Unchained. Later. Later.